Leadership Next is powered by the folks at Deloitte, who, like me, are super focused on how CEOs can lead in the context of disruption and devolving societal expectations. Welcome to Leadership Next, the podcast about the changing rules of business leadership. I'm Alan Murray, and I'm here with my amazing co-host, <laughs> Ellen McGirt. Oh, Alan, it's so great to be back with you. And I want to say I've missed you. The you know, very strange thing about our episode this week, you weren't able to join. And it really, it was a wonderful conversation, but it just wasn't the same. I was doing my own COVID recovery. Thank goodness it only took a day or two. Oh, man, all those candles I lit. I hope it made a difference. We were really worried, but I'm glad you're back. The whole time I was thinking about how much you would have loved this conversation, too. Our guest was Hayden Brown, the CEO of Upwork. Upwork calls itself the world's work marketplace. Its primary function is to connect skilled freelancers with businesses who need their services. It's a whole new way of thinking about the gig economy. We've spent so much time in the past few months talking about the changing world of work and the challenges facing companies who are looking for talent. It was really a very timely conversation. Yeah, it's really important too. You know, this kind of uberization of work has mm -hmm. been proceeding over the course of the last few years, I think there's a lot more to be done. It's it's the fundamental structure of business of the 20th century is changing before our eyes in the 21st. Exactly. And does that make um, a more equitable world or not? We don't know yet. But one of the things I want to point out before we dive in that I was really struck by her sense of mission, which I know always rings a bell for you. Yes, Hayden is providing a service to companies, but she really sees Upwork as much, much more. And we dove into that right off the top. Hayden, thank you so much for being here and welcome to Leadership Next. Thank you so much for having me, Ellen. Why don't we start at the very beginning? Uh, for anyone who's not familiar, can you tell us a little bit about Upwork, what it does and, and why it's important? So we are really building the future of work, connecting talent on the one side with businesses of all sizes to work together on our platform. The work is largely done remotely. So the skilled uh, professionals working on our platform typically are doing anything from web development to designing creative work, translation, um, really any kind of work that can be done in front of a computer can be done by one of the skilled professionals on Upwork. And they are coming on our platform, creating their profiles, and finding their clients, which are these businesses that range from small mom and pop shops all the way up to 30% of the Fortune 100, who are really building programmatic ways of engaging with freelance talent and full-time talent um, that they find on our platform, uh, really, which is, I think, a, a part of the future of work. You know, this is a very flexible model that really works for both sides. It works for businesses and it works incredibly well for the professionals that are finding their clients through uh, this platform. Let's dig into a little bit about why Upwork is different. We talk a lot about purpose on this podcast, and you bring a unique sense of the possibility of work and the workplace to Upwork. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, our mission at Upwork is to create economic opportunity so people have better lives. That is really our guiding light. And the whole reason our platform exists is this idea that we've had since the beginning that great work can be done from anywhere and that people shouldn't have to move their homes, their families, you know, cross borders, move to the big city, whatever it may be, to do great work. And that's the reason I joined the business 10 and a half years ago. Um, it's always, I think, been a really inspiring um, vision and mission for our employees and our team members who are working for us from around the world. 
Uh, and so we've always believed that we can build this very meritocratic work platform where people from anywhere can compete for great work. Clearly, over the last couple of years of the pandemic, many more people have woken up to the fact that great work can be done from anywhere. And I think this is really just the beginning of a tectonic shift that we are starting to see in terms of how people think about work, what it means and what's possible in a world where remote work is something that's much more mainstream uh, and allows, frankly, participation uh, and a very different, I think, type of work and reality for work in the future, which is, I think, really, really exciting. I agree with you. Um, before we dig into the pandemic, because that's when we've seen so many crazy shifts in the talent marketplace, but you use the word meritocratic. And it hits my ear because the, the idea of the meritocracy has so long been a barrier to inclusion. It's been a code word for not a culture fit, um, you know, the other, not you, people like me, that kind of thing. Can you tell me how you're planning to reclaim that word? You know, I think a platform like ours and what we're trying to build is a place where it's all about your skills and abilities. It's not about the color of your skin. It's not about your gender. It's not even about where you went to school. Uh, people on our platform are able to come in and compete based on what they're able to do. And it's really a performance-based platform where it's hugely transparent. People earn uh, money based on what they're able to perform on. And because it's a two-sided marketplace where the talent are reviewing their clients and leaving those reviews and those are visible and the clients are reviewing their talent and saying, hey, this person did great work for me and I paid them $10,000 for this project or I paid them $100 an hour to do this work. All of that is visible. And, you know, there's the saying, you know, sunshine is the best disinfectant because it is so transparent mm. and visible. People are able to earn what they're worth on this platform. So I have to believe that the pandemic was bonkers for your business. I've got some of the numbers in front of me. Can you highlight some that can really tell the tale of how you grew? Yeah, you know, we saw a lot of growth during the pandemic, for sure. I think a lot of people woke up to the fact that remote work could be part of their business. A lot of businesses started to be interested in freelancers and other remote workers on our platform uh, for the first time. And that certainly started to show through in our numbers. We had, you know, peak client registrations over the last couple of years. Some of our certainly our best quarters ever as a public company were delivered over the past couple of years. But for us, I think this is really the story of early innings in a much bigger game. You know, we're going after a trillion dollar market opportunity. We are in the early stages, even though, you know, we've, we've been at this game, we've got a 20 year old uh, company and we went public in 2018. But I think Ellen, the, the bigger potential here is actually what lies ahead of us versus what happened in the last two years. And that's, what's exciting to me, I think is, the idea that so many workers woke up to the fact that they didn't have to have a horrible commute. They didn't have to trade off time with their family. They didn't have to schlep into an office to do things that they loved. And that now gets to be center stage as they recreate new work lives, whether or not they actually, you know, do go back into an office sometimes or do, you know, kind of renegotiate with their employer what the world of work looks like. I think that's what's really exciting that we can head into a future of work that doesn't need to look like it looked in 2019 or early 2020. And rewriting those rules of work, I think, is what's going to be, frankly, a win for talent. And what I see every day on my platform is this is a huge win for businesses, too. So there is a win-win here, which I think is actually very rare. You know, often we think of these tectonic changes as very zero-sum. 
in this case, I think uh, both sides can really benefit. So let's dig into the freelance economy here. Is, what are you learning about who's winning, what kind of talent is in demand, and what kind of power can freelancers have going forward? Is there really going to be enough of a shift to freelancers and their well-being and their economic opportunity in the marketplace for them to carve out a life this way? The uh, the freelance economy, frankly, is, is I think the numbers are probably astonishing to people who aren't familiar with it. Already one third of Americans are freelancing. It's over a trillion dollars in the U.S. economy today. And so this is something that was already happening, you know, at a huge scale before the pandemic and has only accelerated. You know, we did some research this year with seeing finding out that 10 million Americans right now are already thinking about adding themselves to the freelance workforce because the attributes of freedom, flexibility, um, defining the terms of who, when, where, and how you work are so attractive to more and more people, both in the U.S. and globally. We see that every successive generation of workers is actually increasingly participating in uh, freelancing with uh, nearly half of Generation Z uh, college grads freelancing. 46% of them are freelancing already today. So I think what we're seeing is a huge shift where in the past, I think a lot of workers thought that freelancing was not that safe, not that stable, maybe something of a last resort type of career choice. That has actually flipped. And the narrative is now the opposite. Uh, especially if you think about these younger Generation Z workers, they saw the 2008 recession. They've seen their parents go through rounds of layoffs and hardship with the work of an individual employer actually proving to be very unstable and people seeing, wait a minute, if I'm going to be at the behest of the single employer, that's actually very risky for me. What we see now is freelancers saying, I feel more secure in my freelance career where I have four or five clients that are my steady clients than I did previously when I was working for just one employer and I was really at their whim. And we see that every day on our platform. You know, we've basically seen peak months of registrations and engagement from freelancers on Upwork through the pandemic. And that's kind of stayed at this peak level um, over the last couple of quarters without dropping down. You know, people just continue to come into this and be really interested in engaging in this way of working. So I want to switch gears to a topic that is a little less rosy, which is what happened to professional women during the pandemic. I think the last number I have in front of me is that some 12 million women were pushed out of the workforce. It was hit working moms particularly hard for all of the reasons that we know, including access to childcare and just disruption in the home. What have you done with that research? I know that you had you started an interesting campaign around it. Yeah, I mean, the numbers here are staggering. And we've seen, you know, in the U.S. alone, more than 1.8 million women, moms specifically mm. pushed out of the workforce and the numbers you're sharing, Ellen, too. It's really something that as we looked at the numbers, we felt like we had to act. And certainly we launched this campaign around motherhood works and this idea that the skills that these, in this case, women have as moms and as parents these are skills that you want as an employer. You know, things around um, multitasking, around creativity, around delegation, around leadership. Like these are all the things that people have honed as parents. And when they show up in your workplace with those skills, these make them even more valuable employees than ever before. And so really shining a light on the fact that these are valuable employees, that the traits that they have as parents make them so valuable in the workplace and really calling on corporate America to bring these people back into the workforce, make space for them, seek them out intentionally and really recruit for them. Uh, we have a whole campaign around that uh, page where you can go and actually surface this talent through our website. This was really important to us because again, these 
These women have the skills and the, the employers have the needs. I mean, we're seeing, you know, the openings in America are at all time highs. And so really connecting the dots between the supply and the demand sides of the equation just makes sense. And obviously, again, it's good for both sides. And speaking of good for both sides, where are employers on this? Because, the, you know, hiring freelancers has typically not been the preferred method of staffing up. And I, we're hearing that a lot with the tension of coming back to the office, the traditional manager who just wants you to come in, sit there, watch you do your work, you know, and then go home. But freelancers adds an extra layer of complexity to what felt like a traditional managed workplace. What trends are you seeing there? Yeah, I think this is where mindsets and behaviors are really starting to change. You know, contingent staff have always been a feature in uh, the American workplace and globally. Now that people have gone through this experience, I think of waking up during the pandemic to the fact that they could incorporate remote employees much more into their workforce strategy, whether it was full-time team members, whether it was freelance staff, suddenly what we're seeing and hearing from companies is they're realizing okay, if I can have a team that can be anywhere, that means I can tap into freelance team members who can be anywhere. And this opens up a huge pool of talent that previously I wasn't taking advantage of. And in this era where the war for talent is at such an all-time high, every business is trying to recruit. And now, frankly, as we head into a potential recession, businesses are thinking also about that premium on flexibility. A lot of businesses are saying, well, maybe I don't want to commit to that full-time staff. I might need to have a little bit more flexibility in my hiring model. We're seeing a lot more, I think, awareness now that this is something that people can't overlook as part of their talent strategy. It has to be a centerpiece. So I, I apologize. I don't know um, as much about this as I should, but having been a freelancer for a big chunk of my life, actually, I missed a lot of things. It's not just the typical benefits, but the sense that I had protections in case of harassment or other kinds of issue at work, the sense that I could participate in the equity of a company, things like that. Do you anticipate a changing in the access to those kinds of benefits and protections for the freelance class? Yeah, I think this is where the ecosystem is really evolving. And we see this even with renaming their talent function from talent acquisition, which I think is becoming more of an outdated term to talent access, because they realize it's not about acquiring the talent, it's about accessing talent in much more of an on-demand way. Now they're also evolving their benefits programs, their policies, and starting to think more holistically about, well, how do you onboard people who may not all be full-time employees, but also include uh, freelance workers, contingent staff, et cetera. What does that look like? What are those benefits? Right. How do we have to evolve the benefits package? How do we have to evolve the different aspects of what we're offering in a way that is equitable, even if it is different, you know, because these different populations may need different things, which, you know, is a much a different model, I think, for kind of thinking about and handling these different populations in the workforce. I'm here with Joe Yukazoglu, the CEO of Deloitte U.S. and the sponsor of this podcast for all three of its seasons. Thank you for that, Joe. Pleasure to be here, Alan. The biggest issue that I hear companies talk about these days and CEOs talk about is the battle for talent. People talk about the great resignation. How do you hire great people? How do you retain great people? It really seems to be the leading challenge most companies are facing. Do you agree? 
I do. The intensity level in the talent market is high, and we certainly see the challenging aspects of worker shortages, of turnover levels. But Alan, we're also seeing the leading companies realize that there's some opportunity in all of this. Market forces are at work here. That's driving differentiation in the talent experience. And the companies that do this well are gonna be big net winners, attracting and retaining more great talent. And there, there's a lot of good in that. Competition driving better outcomes for employees. And so what's your advice for the companies trying to win the battle for talent? Well, first, it's not going away. So prepare for the long haul. The demographics would suggest that there will be some level of continued tightness. I also think that it's important to realize that employees are now in the mindset of expecting a lot from employers, including a, a baseline expectation that they can relate their work to a broader purpose, that they're doing work that they're passionate about. They want to work for an organization that aligns with their values. Values. Joe, thank you. Alan, it's a real pleasure. So I, I know that you've been at Upwork for a while and you became CEO just before the pandemic began. And that must have been an incredibly challenging time. But along with the pandemic, a lot of other things were happening too. Everything from Black Lives Matter protests and the murder of George Floyd to now war in Ukraine. And all of these things are impacting not just your workplace, but workplaces around the world. So that puts you central into some really key conversations. I'm curious how you handle it. I'm curious how you handle it as an executive team and how you make decisions around where to invest, where to weigh in, and what role you play in the marketplace of talent. Yeah, I mean, the last few years, I think, has just been so challenging for, you know, Every business, every executive, the the environment is just very divisive, and certainly there's been kind of crisis upon crisis. I think what I've recognized is, you know, our role is definitely as as a CEO and as an executive team, as as leaders of business, is definitely a lot broader than just stewarding the business in a narrow sense. You know, our team members and our customers are looking to us to speak to our stand on certain issues and be very transparent around that. And our business has to be prepared to respond in times of crisis kind of programmatically. You know, we went from the first crisis in my leadership after I took the helm in 2020 being COVID to all the different ones that you've mentioned and more. And so we've learned that we have to have kind of crisis response as a muscle in our business and get faster and better. And really every crisis presents an opportunity, in my view, to either build trust and build cultural fabric both internally and with our customers or to destroy it. And kind of every crisis is a test in that regard. But certainly for us at Upwork, we have had these moments and they've been very formative for us in terms of cementing us further around our values, our mission, why we're here, why we come in every day and how we want to show up for our team and for our customers. Always being people centric, always thinking about our values and our mission first and foremost and knowing that we're here to build something for the long term and make decisions that will stand the test of time. But it is challenging. And certainly, you know, we haven't always been perfect, but every time we're trying to learn and inform, okay, what does this mean in terms of how we can be prepared for the next thing and, and kind of always show up in a way that we're going to be proud of. We gave an example with um, Working Moms in your campaign to make sure that employers understood the value of this very specific demographic. But I imagine that you collect a lot of data about job-seeking behavior, about talent, and I'm curious how you do it 
what catches your eye and how you decide to put your shoulder to the wheel with a campaign or to advocate for a certain demographic. I know it's good business. You're growing your own marketplace and that's good business, but it also strikes me as part of your overall mission. Yeah, it does. It really does come from a place of our mission. And we're always thinking about the different populations we serve. You know, women and minorities are a big piece of the puzzle for us. And thinking about that meritocratic platform that we were, you know, talking about at the beginning in terms of how are we advancing that cause? You know, one of the recent focus areas for us has obviously been Ukraine and um, refugees. Uh, this started back actually with the, with the Syrian refugee crisis. And we started looking at, okay, how are we showing up for displaced populations? We have work around that that is ongoing. And I think part of it for us is just looking at as world events are unfolding, some of it is of the moment. And we think about, okay, how can we show up in this moment with the superpowers that we have as an organization, the capabilities we have to help people who might be in need or to create capabilities that can, you know, perform for people in a moment when they really do need help or support or capabilities that we uniquely can offer. And then some of it is more, you know, long-term programmatic strategies that do come out of, you know, our growth aspirations and ways that we think we can support the global population of users on our platform over the long term. I know employers are really struggling and individual leaders too with the design of the workplace and the future of how they want to get things done. Is it remote? Is it hybrid? Is it in-person? Would you make demands? What is the combination there? I was wondering what your advice would be for someone who's struggling with this. How can they make the best decision for their teams and their companies and their customers and everyone they need to care about? Because I'm I'm pretty sure there's not one size fits all solution. Yeah, it's definitely not one size fits all, but I think there's two things that can really help people who are wrestling with this. One is experiment, you know, take this on like you would other business challenges and test models that you think might work for your team. You know, don't feel like you got to make one big proclamation and commit and then call it a day because I think everyone is learning the world is changing. There's a lot of fluidity in the environment. And so take the opportunity to test out things that might work for your team and get feedback and then, you know, move on from there. The other one is I'd say pick your poison mm. and be really clear about that with your team. I think the worst place to be is this awkward middle of like, well, you know, we're kind of going to do this, but not that. And people get confused if you don't really take a stand on what you're solving for and why and where you're trying to be on, you know, remote or in person or a hybrid model or whatever. And I think, to be honest, the easiest place to be is kind of one end of the spectrum or the other, like in person or, hey, we're really remote. And then we do things, which by the way, doesn't mean we don't get together sometimes. I think there's a misnomer right. of remote work means we never see each other. Remote work can still have a really great in-person component. I think the hybrid part of like, oh, we're some days and it's these two days and we're policing you in the office and counting your hours. I think to be honest, that's probably the worst place to end up because there's a low trust factor. And I think that can have a lot of challenging consequences to it. But regardless of where you are, pick a spot and be really clear with your team about what your spot is and why. And then I would say experiment through it. If it's not working, then make a change and try the next iteration until you get to a place that feels like it is working for you and your team and your culture. Hayden, you have an amazing origin story yourself. Tell us about how you grew up. Oh my, I mean, I really, my parents have this kind of crazy career that they both were doing in the international development space. We ended up living in Kathmandu, Nepal for nine years. And both my parents are huge inspiration to me. My mom was running this really groundbreaking program, which was around women's uh, literacy and microfinance training in Nepal. 
And I think what I saw through my parents and their work that truly kind of set the the framework for my own career was that it's so worthwhile to spend your career kind of in service of others and trying to have a bigger impact on the world. And so seeing that and seeing that through their work and also falling in love with this idea of the world is this truly beautiful place with talented people everywhere, but truly they don't all have the opportunities that you know those of us growing up in the U.S. have led me on this path where, you know, eventually I fell in love with tech and I wanted to work in the tech space. But then I found this company that was called Odesk at the time. Now it's called Upwork that was basically doing this, you know, amazing thing with technology around bringing work to people. So I think I got really lucky, you know, seeing this inspiration from my parents around what their work was and then finding a a business that was doing something with technology that was also hugely inspiring to me in terms of the impact it could have on the world. We have a lightning round of questions that we're asking all our guests this year. But before I get to that, I want to circle back to where we started, which was purpose, because it's clear talking to you that you have a strong sense of the transformational aspect of work and dignified work and well-paid work and equitable treatment in the talent marketplace. And that's something that sits closely to you for your own sense of purpose. I'm curious if you have advice for other CEOs or other senior leaders as they're struggling with how to embed not just their own sense of purpose in the world, but a broader sense of purpose into the work that they're doing. We spend a lot of time talking about stakeholders instead of shareholders here. And even though it is a rich conversation, in many ways, it's a new conversation for people. How do you recommend your peers in in other industries and companies to begin to think through how to create purpose and equity in the work that they're doing? That's a big question, Ellen. And I think in my mind, I have this image of companies today as being these glass houses where really they're so transparent and everything we do inside of our company, we have to assume the world basically can see at some point and it will become visible in some way. So I think all of us as leaders can lead our companies regardless of you know whether our mission sits squarely on a purpose or something that may seem a little bit more commercial we can think about our how we lead with real purpose and integrity and i think that can be true for all of us regardless and there are so many opportunities to lead with that integrity and that purpose today in terms of how we build our business so probably that's the place that i would i would go to in terms of um, really leaning into those opportunities in terms of who's at the table how are we making decisions Um, And how is that showing up for our team? I lied. I have one more quick question before we go to the lightning round. You know, we've we've had uh, Dr. Erin Thomas on our our show, and we just love her. And she's been a guest at at many Fortune conference events um, as well. And she's given us some insight into the to the her own research and the work that she's done within your company to to help you understand what inclusion really is, and to share that information and that insight throughout your own network. I'm curious if you could update us on that work, and also. If tapping the freelance marketplace is a legitimate strategy for companies who are looking to boost their inclusion numbers, but have a legitimate relationship with underrepresented professionals in their ecosystem, is this a good way forward? It absolutely is, Ellen. I think the way forward, you know, there has to be a dual strategy where internally with your employee team, having a div strategy that is real, that is measurable, that shows up the way your other business strategies do is so important. And I'm sure that's been a big part of the conversation with Dr. Erin Thomas, who she's just so phenomenal. But to, to the second part of your question, 
bringing in diverse team members through your freelance population can be such a wow factor for also completely changing the conversation, bringing in new perspectives. You know, there's so much value to that as well. If you are also doing it in a way that is truly bringing them to have a seat at the table. And as we were talking about earlier, these aren't people who you're throwing the work over the wall to and just, you know, not giving them context. But if they're really brought into the organization and given the mandate and the authority to act and operate, then I think they can add tremendous value just the way you would want to. And you can really unlock something there. So I think it can be hugely beneficial. But like all things, you know, you have to really approach it with the intention and the design to get out of it what what you're intending to. No, that makes perfect sense. Okay, here's the lightning round, as promised. Uh, we've been asking all our guests this season to just give us quick top of mind responses to three key things. That's on everybody's mind. The first thing is what's top of mind for you when you think about COVID? You know, I told my team this morning, if you get sick, you got to take the time off work to recover. I think we've kind of normalized this idea at two plus years into this pandemic of, just work through it. And there's a sense of a lot of employees feeling like, oh, I've got to stay on Slack. I've got to still do my calls because this should be just, you know, a little cold that I get for a few days. I can say from personal experience, that's not necessarily the case. You know, it can really take people down. So top of mind for me is we're still in this pandemic. People need to have the time, the space to rest, recover, stay healthy. Hopefully they don't get it. But if they do, uh, we still need to really make the allowances for them to recover and get back to full health. I think you're absolutely right. Top of mind for you when you think about the economy. I think it's going to be bumpy, but I think in every challenge, there's a silver lining and there are opportunities. And I think I'm always focused on the glass half full. So I'm excited for what our business is going to be building and how we're going to be supporting our customers over the next you know, year plus. Hopefully we ride through it as an entire society and it's not too bad, but I'm going to be focused on how we can be supporting everybody as we go through it. And finally, top of mind for you as you think about your development as a leader. Always growing and always learning. I think there's so much more every day and I'm always looking for that next inspiration and lesson, which I get from so many other leaders and, and those around me are very fortunate. So that's, I'm always looking for that growth. Hayden Brown, thank you so very much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Leadership Next is edited by Nicole Vergala. Written by me, Alan Murray, along with my amazing colleagues, Ellen McGirt and Megan Arnold. Our theme is by Jason Snell. Executive producer, Megan Arnold. Leadership Next is a production of Fortune Media. Leadership Next episodes are produced by Fortune's editorial team. The views and opinions expressed by podcast speakers and guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Deloitte or its personnel, nor does Deloitte advocate or endorse any individuals or entities featured on the episodes. 